Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show with your hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet. Phil and Ted's guest, Cowabunga, Nancy Cartwright, the voice of Bart Simpson. I am out of here, man. Who's going to tell all. I didn't do it. Nobody saw me do it. You can't prove anything. And now, your Sexy Boomer hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet. Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. I'm Ted Bonnet. And I'm Phil Proctor. Hi, Phil. And we're really happy to have an amazing guest today who is really a Renaissance woman, Nancy Cartwright, probably better known to you guys as Bart Simpson. Hi, guys. And not only that, Nancy, but you and I worked together in in a manner of speaking. That's right. uh, On Rugrats for many years. Yep. Where you played Chucky Finster. I still do, and sadly, right. I, you don't, I, I don't believe. And that sucks, that sucks rotten lemons. Howard, for some reason, was overlooked. One of my fans sent me a, a picture of Howard, my cartoon character, and I'm carrying a plaque that says, Howard's life matters. Oh. <laughs> but, but unfortunately, the, the, the grassroots movement to get me back on the show did not bear fruit, to make a metaphor. It's just not fair. The answer that I got from the powers that be is that basically they wanted to take the asset and recast it with younger people so that they could go for another 14 years. Okay, that's called ageism. You see? That's like, that's not right. Yeah, you think? That's not, that's <laughs> not right. And I'll, I'll, I'm on the radio saying this. I don't like that at all. Well, neither do I. But you know, I'm, I'm 81 years old now. I've had a really, really fun career. And I don't mind the fact that the other, other folks are going to carry it on. And of course, you lucky girls playing all the little babies' voices. And they, you, you're, it's eternal for you guys you can listen i'm old enough to be my own character's great grandmother i'm just saying <laughs> seriously in, in in real life so <laughs> well i'm glad for you well thank you honey i i i just don't want this to be too awkward i i yeah, right. i love you and i listen to your voice and you know june foray was two months shy of her 100th birthday and could still do, which Hazel could still do Granny Smurf. That's right. George O'Hanlon was in his 90s when he was still doing George Jetson. Wow. Mel Blank was in his 80s and he was still doing Bugs Bunny and, and Tweety Bird and, you know, all his Warner Brother characters. Dawes Butler was in his 70s. Yep. And it's like voices are kind of amazing. You can actually turn it on. I can still do the sound of Bart Simpson that I did very early on on the Tracy Ullman show. He doesn't, today he sounds like this. Back then he was kind of like that. But he, he's kind of like, I settled into wow. this sort of a sound. It's kind of natural from my own voice. But back then when I was putting him on, he was a little bit lower in range. And if I want to make him really, really young and make him like he's two years old, all I do is just <laughs> tighten it up. We have this, we're called actors. We can do it. We can keep that. And as as long as some kind of like smoking whatever you know doesn't affect the pipes the machinery and and whatever you do that, mm-hmm. that that's changing your body if you keep yourself healthy and you can still make that sound i i don't see anything at all wrong with keeping the cast the way that it was yeah and you'll change and your character is a character whether it's modern times or not you're an actor you do what's written in front of you and add even more to it so poo poo smoker's cough actually works for marge simpson's sister right (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
Now, what we're referring to is a wonderful audiobook that Nancy has re-released in an expanded version, I'm assuming. Yeah, and then actually it's about 70 to 75 percent new. Mm. It's I've got I've got the the bones, the structure of the original one where I go into you know, my personal life, but this one is more so. But more than that, it's like I've got these clips from Dan and Julie and Yardley and others like J.K. Simmons, Elizabeth Taylor, Mickey Rooney, and I talk about working with 50 Cent and working with Anne Hathaway and these clips and Dawes Butler for crying out loud. I Yes. I can't believe Something inside of me just said, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Way back in 1977, 77, 78, when I was taking scripts that Dawes Butler would mail to me in Dayton, Ohio, with him out in L.A. Wow. He would mail these scripts to me that he wrote, and he would say, give a, and he would give me a lesson on a cassette. I used little clips, and you hear Dawes Butler talking to like 18, 19 year old Nancy Cartwright responding. And maybe we should talk a little bit about Dawes. What was he most famous for? Yeah, how did you get to uh, connect with him like that? At the time, I was working at uh, a radio station in Dayton, Ohio, called WING, Winging It, Winging It in Dayton, home <laughs> of the Wright brothers. <laughs> the president and general manager of the station, Jim Bennett, um, we spoke before he he hired me. I was working at an ice cream store because I love ice cream. <laughs> working at a friendly ice cream store. And he came in and he knew me and knew my family because of our church. So he said, what are, you, what are your plans? And I said, well, I'm going to, I got a scholarship to go to Ohio University and I'm going to major in interpersonal communications. And he's like, well, why don't you come work for me? We need a little gal to come fill in when people go on vacation. Huh. So that next summer I was hi- hired and I filled in and learned virtually every department of the radio station. And eventually I started doing a little bit in the afternoon. It was a promotional gimmick for the station. Yeah. Working with a guy named Bob Beck who did the weather and traffic during prime time. And so I did 10 minutes maybe on the air, but I was lily pad and he would pop in these cassettes of somebody diving into a swimming pool. And I was the imaginary lifeguard of the swimming pool (laughs) for the poolside show with Ken Warren. And it was a whole imagination kind of a thing. And I created this character, and she was sort of a precursor to Bart Simpson because her, her voice was, Ooh, oh, look, would anybody like a martini? I'll give you a martini. Um, <laughs> hey, you're in the deep end. Sorry, you just ate. You need to get out of the pool right now. Rest period. <laughs> it's just stupid, silly things like that. And eventually, a woman from Warner Brothers Music came in, and she was doing her job of promoting music to the um, program manager. And so Jim Bennett ends up introducing me to this woman. And I knew she was from Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers to me meant Mel Blank. Maybe she knows Mel Blank. So we spoke about this, and she said, look, I'm not in that area at all of Warner Brothers, but do you have like a, a little demonstration of like voices that you do? And I said, no, but, but well, maybe you could put something together, put a sample of things that you do together and send it to me. Here's my card. So she gave me her business card and cut into the chain. I couldn't believe it, but like this really catapulted everything for me Wow! because I would go to the station at night on my own time 
And I just took little sound clippings of character pieces that I did from James Thurber's Many Moons and another one called 13 Clocks and a Ray Bradbury cutting of the Velt mm-hmm. and just did these little pieces mm. and cut them. But they it was 14 minutes long for crying out loud. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I sent it. And next thing you know, she wrote me back a letter. And in the letter, she told me she'd sent it out. And these are the places that she sent it to. And it was Buena Vista. It was Walt Disney Pictures. It was Wally Burr Studios. It was Screen Gems. Yeah. And this guy, Dawes Butler, he's the voice of Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. And I'm like, well, Roadrunner doesn't have a voice. It's like, blah, blah, blah. I didn't understand that, but there was a phone number. And I thought, well, I'll just give him a call. It was an outgoing message from a, <clears throat> this is Percival Pickles, Mr. Butler's <laughs> butler. He's not here right now. Leave your name and message at the beep, beep. And I'm I'm kind of taken aback because this is Kettering, Ohio, just south of Dayton. This is 1977, I think. And we did not have answering machines back then. Yeah. And I'm listening to this and hardly without missing a beat, I'm like, hello, Mr. Butler, this is Nancy Gottright. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know, I found out he was from Toledo, Ohio, <laughs> mentioned W-I-N-G, and next thing you know, he called me back, and we started this long-distance student-mentor relationship, and wow. it's just such a Cinderella story. I was in and going, you know? As you say in your book, you've always had a Cinderella career. You, yeah. you walk in and you get the job. Yeah. There's a segment in the book of something you found when you were 19 years old, this little girl talking to, to Dawes. It's such a sweet tape. must have been good for him when you see that something like that happens. Oh, my gosh. I transferred to UCLA, by the way, and they didn't have the same major, but I got into theater, and that opened up a whole nother avenue for me that just, I ended up getting an agent and doing on camera, like Cheers, Empty Nest, Mr. Belvedere, Marion Rose White, where I I was the titular character in that, and Mm. working with Valerie Perrine and Catherine Ross, and not knowing what I was doing in front of the camera. I wasn't interested really in doing on-camera stuff. I had a consideration that I, this is another one of those things, kind kind of like, kind of naive I I thought my looks might have something to do with it and I didn't have a lot of self-confidence in the way that I looked and I never really had a boyfriend I was very focused on my career very much so all the dances were turnabout dances I always asked a guy and they always went with me because I paid for everything (laughs) 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 what a deal (laughs) the main thing was you never said no you said yes. Right? It's like mm-hmm. that experience that opens up yep. everything that I do. I'm telling you, if I get invited to speak at like a, a Rotary Club or a, a Boys and Girls Club or something, I'll say yes. And then the day will come and I'll see my day and I'm going, oh my gosh, oh, I don't have time to do this. <laughs> and I will show up and I'll do it. But guys, every single time the door opens and I meet somebody that shares something with me about them and something that we both benefit from it's it's really kind mm-hmm. of kismet or karma or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it it's kind of magical serendipity yeah 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 i think everyone in high school should take public speech it should be required i agree because it's like you gain you learn about 
Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them. Tell them what you told them. Mm-hmm. You you know do a beginning, middle, and an end. You complete what it is that you have a goal of what you're going to be communicating about. So anybody, whether you're you end up being in whatever um, job you or career you decide to choose. You have to know these skills, and this was something that you get confidence in. Also, another fast track to low-paying radio jobs is doing morning announcements in high school. Oh. That's what I did. You know what? When I go back to that, I have to laugh now. I just recently, last last fall, went back to my 45th class reunion. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I used to do the morning announcements, and I did them on... Mondays was my day. So over the weekend, I'd gone off on a speech tournament. Mm. And man, I was hauling in the hardware, humble brag. Oh my gosh, you know, bringing <laughs> first place humorous interpretation and bringing home a trophy the size of like, you know, of a, 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 a small child. And it's like, wow. And I was announcing who, who ended up winning this. And it was first place in humorous interpretation, Nancy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> I started making enemies very early, <laughs> very early in my career. <laughs> do you find it easier to do it through the mask of a character as opposed to being yourself? That's so funny. Yes, I do. What about you? Do you find that? I did an improv show in New York for 10 years as a character. Oh, yeah. And when I had a character on, I was fearless, unaccountable. So it's easier. Yeah. Do you take more creative leaps when you're doing Bart, say, than you would if you were yourself in a situation? at the, I mean, maybe not at this point, but early on. Um, I think I'm so far removed because of my age and my gender that I don't, I mean, relating to a 10-year-old boy throwing cherry bombs, whatever, down toilets and stuff wasn't really... Yeah. I have done my share of pranks. I got even suspended for doing something pretty pretty nasty once. I'm not completely innocent. And I'm speaking for every person on the planet right now, by the way. I think all of us have <laughs> right. a little bit of Bart right. Simpson. And maybe it's enviable that I get to play this kid that people sort of secretly wish that they could be Bart Simpson because he, he tends to be able to do these things that we all want to do. And, and a lot of us don't do it. But Bart will do it anyway. And a lot of times he'll feel the repercussions of his actions you know mm-hmm. is it safe to assume that bart is is the most direct alter ego of the creator of the series matt Groening? yeah it's totally fair and in fact his his like his his dad is homer his mom was margaret not marge but close enough marge sister lisa mm. matt is because it's mm, it's a soft it's a soft sound matt but bart is like bart Bark, bark, it's barking at you almost. So there's that mm. slightly antagonistic sound even to how you, how you say his name. I've been a fan from literally the beginning. I was working on an NPR show in New York uh, in 1990. It was Heat with John Hockenberry. It was a thematic culture news show. One hour was on family dynamics. Coincidentally, we got a VHS mailed to us, and it was the pilot for The Simpsons. No. Wow. The Christmas. Yes. Matt Groening, Life in Hell. I called Fox, and he was the nicest person. And I said, we're doing this show on Family Dynamics, and we'd love to talk about your new series. And he said, you know, I'd love to do it, but I have to go home to Portland this weekend. <laughs> They're naming some hospital wing after me. <laughs> but No way. Oh, my God. He said, you know, I'd love to do the show, but I'm going to be staying with my parents. We can do it from my family room. And I said, absolutely. He said, well, would you do me a favor? Would you please call my parents and ask permission? You know, make sure it's okay. And he gave me the phone number and he said, my dad's name is Homer. Do you have a sister named Lisa? And he says, I do. And I said, well, who's Bart? 
And he said, well, that's an acronym for BRAT. That's pretty much me. Yeah, yeah. So I called his father, and Homer answered the phone. Hello? Is this Homer? Yes. I said, I, I just watched the pilot. It was just so wonderful. And he goes, I'm not like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. And he just turned out to be lovely and charming, as was Matt. He's a pretty humble guy, and he likes to give people a leg up. He really does. And, he, of course, none of us, none of us had an inkling that 30... Four years later, mm-hmm. we're still doing it. Amazing. It's astounding. That's ridiculous. Who would have known at that time that this would be the longest running yeah. television series in history? Yeah. And it's animated. Well, that's why I think yes. besides the writing, obviously it's the writing, but that it's animated. And again, what we were talking in the, the early part of this interview was just you know your voice all of our voices have, have, have shifted as we've settled. It's kind of like a house. Mm-hmm. I've been in this house uh, since 1996, mm. and it's, it's settled a bit, you know, over the years. And I think a voice print, I think yeah. it can settle into a certain sound, and as we age, it very gradiently, and you don't notice it because you're living with it all the time, and the people around you don't notice it, but mm-hmm. definitely going back to the earlies, you can hear even Yardley, who is, Lisa Simpson is pretty much Yardley's voice, except she she turns it on just a little bit. She makes her eight. She makes her, and it's genius, you know, and yeah. the writers over the years have, have made her even more... Um, responsible, more civically oriented and invested and Mm -hmm. comes out and she's vegan and she's a Buddhist. She's the daughter that every parent wants their kid to be like. It's kind she's kind of incredible. And then she's got her brother Bart. (laughs) Al, quit it. Al, quit it. (laughs) You also do Maggie, don't you? Yeah. I said one thing, one word. Everything else is There you go. (laughs) That's just a temporary sound. They have a sound that they use that they punch in, and that's the sound you actually hear, but I do the temporary sound for that. But on the movie, I think it was sequel, (laughs) (laughs) which we have yet to do, (laughs) as you know. (laughs) The actors have been with it for all that time. Have the writers been with it, or have you gone through a lot of changes of writers? I think Al Jean, uh, as our showrunner, he's he's been there since the very, very beginning. Dave Merkin, I still see Dave's face, but some other guys pop in and out, but there's been a, a steady consistency. Some guys have gone, and they're not with us anymore, definitely. Conan O'Brien was with us. Oh, right. Yeah, he was with us for like three years, like three seasons, I believe, and some other guys have gone off. Greg Daniels, Greg Daniels was with us for, he went off and did King of the Hill and then The Office and Parks and Rec and started doing like some live action stuff. And even animators like Brad Bird worked with us and he went off and ended up doing The Iron Giant and Mm. then The Incredibles and then then worked with Tom Cruise on Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. All these guys, so talented and I think... Wonderful. You know what? And it's rare. You guys understand this. It's like... There are artists, and then there are visionaries. Correct. And I think these guys are visionaries, and they had their own path. They had the privilege of being on The Simpsons when they were on The Simpsons, but their life path was taking them in a different direction. So they used that opportunity to get that experience behind them, mm-hmm. and then they took off. And it's a, it's a gamble. I'm sure it was a little bit scary, and yet their persistency and their, their own... 
certainty of doing, nope, this is me, I got to, I, I've got to do this. I want to do my own thing. The output is incredible. Are you still doing 22 episodes a season? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Woo, that's amazing. We're into the last year of a, like I said, I don't know, it was picked up for, I, we used to do four-year contracts, two years, and then two years of an option, and then they'd pick them all up one at a time so they don't have to go through the negotiation again. But we're in the last uh, year of this, this go-round, and we'll see, mm-hmm. you know, hey, we're all alive, we're all kicking, is there any real reason why we shouldn't keep going? I mean, I can still I can still burp and fart like <laughs> Bart Simpson. Let's keep going. Harry Shearer is a good friend. It has been for many, many years. And I remember when you guys negotiated your contract with Fox because you were so outrageously successful. And as artists, you, you were not necessarily getting a piece of the pie that you deserved. And I remember celebrating with Harry when you they came up with the first deal yeah. that really recognized yeah. your uh, genius, you know, everybody's input into the thing. So I, I, I imagine you never dreamed that you would get the economic windfall that you got from doing this show. Oh, heavens no. No, but you know, the other thing was in, uh, I venture to say, you know, 97.5% of actors, they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it because it's their passion. That's right. You know, and, or it's to kiss, you know, it's to kiss somebody. Yeah. Because it, mostly it's to kiss the girl, I think. Like in acting classes, guys, they try out acting because they, they want to make out. Sure. <laughs> and hey, the girl's doing it too, man, because she's the, she's the one that's doing the other, she's the other half. The other half, right. There's that aspect of it too. But artists are artists. And in 2000, when I went out with, the other book just somebody had asked me what's it like making as much money and i was kind of like what a strange question mm-hmm. and inside i'm thinking this but i said to her i said you know it's it, it, i do it because i love it right and that's what i say to anybody in in my book i talk about the six salient steps for successful survival mm. the first one do what you love you know just do what you love the remarkable thing about the simpsons being on for over 30 years now, right? Yeah, we're in 34 now. Oh, my goodness. Bart would be like 44 years old. if. <laughs> <laughs> with the world changing as rapidly as it is, you have to also change with the times. And it's a remarkable how little controversy you've had. Apu with the Quickie Mart. Culturally, that wasn't accepted anymore. Mm. Phil and I were asking each other the other day, can The Simpsons still be played in Florida at this point? Thanks to Bart's sister. <laughs> How did that play with you and the team in terms of, of doing The Simpsons? You know, I just feel like, here's the deal on that. We're, we're actors. Mm. I understand what the, what the situation is culturally. I kind of feel like you should hire, it has to do with, with the sound and the creation of a character. It's a voice. They're animating whether the character is is African American or Indian or Asian, they're they're creating these characters. I sort of feel like if we were all had numbers, and like they don't know our names, hmm. that they just everybody submits an audition tape, and it doesn't matter what race you are, what religion, what sex you are. None of that should enter into it. It should be made the best performer win. 
you know, and it's done mostly by jury anyway. So you'll get somebody's viewpoint of what sounds like a 10-year-old boy, what sounds like an Mm -hmm. 85-year-old woman, you know what I mean? Or an Asian or an African or African American or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like we're, we're, all of us are artists trying to make a go of this. I feel like it's a, you guys, we we are going through major major growing changes right now. Yes, we are. It's like we are stretching out, and it's almost as if you feel like you, if you breathe wrong, you're going to get arrested. <laughs> People are walking around in fear. Yes, because you can, you you turn on the news, and it's like, and this is a part of it. I'm I'm sorry to say, but it is a part of it. People are afraid to just be themselves and the media has damaged the culture Mm -hmm. and people sadly have gone into agreement the only thing that we have in common is we've all got our luggage we've all got baggage that we've brought from us from birth on and even probably before then (laughs) you know and it's like you got to recognize that the human part of this thing is that we're all just trying we're all just trying to survive guys Political correctness and humor don't go hand in hand. When you started the show, we were closer to the cable television universe. There was more of a collective. True. And as time has gone on, there's been more division in terms of literally in media channels and fragmentation. Fragmentation. That's right. And tribalism that came with it. I don't disagree with you, man. And you even look at ageism. Yeah. Well, we touched on that. We touched on ageism and women. Look at women. How many women, Mm. hardly any women women writers and animators and creators. And it's not just in animation. It's across the board. Yes, it's a little bit better. But wow, 26% compared to like what it used to be, 4%, 26% and their income. You can look at the world. There's problems everywhere. You can find a problem in any situation. I'm I'm not trying to minimize it. it. There's a reality to this. Innately, I think people really do want to help. And if we can help our fellow man or fellow woman have an opportunity, I think that should be focused on more than than. <laughs> pointing out all the bad things. Let's have some solutions instead of like just pointing out problems. Now, I know you're not in the writer's room typically, but do you think any of this mentality has encroached upon the creative process? <laughs> I, can't, I can't throw them under the bus, man. This, this is like these guys, they touch on things. Hey, look, when Bart said, damn it, I don't, well, I didn't want to say that. I didn't want a 10-year-old boy saying, God damn it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that bothered me. Hmm. That bothered me as a mother and as a grandmother. That bothered me. But you know what? Mm-hmm. This is 2022. Hello. Yeah. I still don't want a 10-year-old boy saying it, but I'm paid to do a job, and I gave them that reading, and then I did it without it. That's right. Because I've got my own integrity. I will express my viewpoint that I don't think this is right. And they'll say, okay, all right, Nancy. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to do it. I already gave you that one. You got that one. I'll give you one more. Yep your way and then I'm, I'd like to do I've got a couple other ideas and as artists it does take a certain amount of courage to stand up for what you feel is right that's a bottom line really but the creative atmosphere has a lot to do with that when I did an all in the family many years ago one of the things that I admired most about that show was that the writers 
would come in for a run-through, and then there'd be a discussion with all of the actors as to what, you know, we might want to change. And the writers were, were open to that so that the actors were able to, to make an input into the final wow. shape of the show. Wow. And that, to me, was so wonderful. You know, it was a community event. Oh, my gosh, Phil. You had that opportunity. You got to do that. Yeah. You got to do that in your life as an artist yeah. and be a part of that, that, of that family to, to contribute to that and witness it. That's right. And even participate in it. Wow. I think much of the problem is politics these days. I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from. Because the politicians who primarily want to get elected are getting elected by scapegoating people and by creating an atmosphere of fear. Yeah. And one of the things that The Simpsons does is that it alleviates some of the danger of that fear mm. by this odd combination of small town reality mm-hmm. and outrageously abstract surrealism. And it blends them in such a way that we can safely laugh at things that might otherwise be, you know, seem dangerous. You're making social commentary. You are obviously relevant. You're reflecting the times to get the laughs. Absolutely. Maybe from the position that you have now of such great success as an organization, you don't have to curry to the winds of change every day. Yes. I would imagine all of that is sort of said and done, and you're just going to go through your lines and bring life and character to it. Early on, very early on, there was one script that was about Nazi Germany. It was in black and white. Mm. I think Sam, actually Sam wrote it, and I called him and I said, I can't do this. This doesn't seem like, this doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it's the tone of the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And obviously I wasn't the only one that said something about it because we ended up, we, we didn't do it. That was hard to do. That was a hard phone call to make. But it just didn't seem like it fit. Good, good. And so there you go. And yeah. they do touch on, but they, they gently touch on things. It's not hardcore. It's not biting. It's not... Um, no, it's not biting satire. It's very subtle. No. And any actor that gets put... I, I, my heart goes out to Hank. And that he... I, I think it was the first time that it ever really happened. My heart went out to him. Are you referring to the Apu chapter? Yeah. And it's just that it's a matter of you got to do what you got to do and you got to respect somebody's viewpoint. We all have viewpoints and it's a matter of doing it. Yes. What a tough position to be in. Yes. He expressed himself and yeah. and all of us that are put in that position. And I just think we are, we're going through whatever we're going through and COVID certainly didn't help. And you touched on it, politics, the media. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, how can we get above this? How can we do it? Well, how about more different content? Mm -hmm. How about something more uplifting? How about including and making it more inclusive? That's what we need. It's content. And this production company that I have called Create For You, that's what we do. We have intellectual properties from Mexico, from Spain, from South America, from Puerto Rico, from all these Latinx countries, and we we import Mm intellectual properties of successful television films and even novels that have been done and keep true to that um, culture. We're Americanizing them by bringing them and producing them in Hollywood, Mm. but we're keeping true to the culture to give others an opportunity to be able to bring other content to the public. It's ironic that you being the voice of Bart want to stress goodness and a moral compass through all of that it's just interesting that you're playing the 10 year old delinquent uh well thanks ted 
And I will have to say, it it it, it takes a bit of a village to raise a Nancy Cartwright <laughs> because it, I wasn't always this way. It's an evolution of an idea, of an opinion, you know, of a purpose, really. And mm-hmm. I'm surrived, surrounded myself with amazing, an amazing team of, of people that like, ooh, ooh, kind of push me in the right direction. And I trust them and including you guys, too, by the way, and the podcast that you have here that you've allowed this platform presented it to me and give me the opportunity to be here with you. And I'm a fan. I am such a fan of the shows that you do. Oh, thank you. I like the guys that, you, that you've had on and the women that you've had on. It's enlightening. Good. <laughs> thank you very much. I'll continue yeah, to I'm listen. A, <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is about self-realization. I love it. It really is. You know, what about your relationship with the other actors over all these years, many of whom are friends of mine? I, you know, I did, I did a play that Dan Castellanata wrote called For Piano and Harpo about Oscar Levant. Brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Wonderful. I love it. When the other performers, I've gone, when they performed, I, I've never seen, oh, I did. I actually saw him. I, I was going to say I didn't see anything that Hank did, but I did. I saw him when he did, whatchamacallit, on Broadway, the musical, Monty Python. Spamalot? Spamalot. Supporting the other actors, I, I am all for it. Yes. I love doing that and finding out. It's, it's a little bit of a different game than like being an on, on a regular on-camera show yeah. because we go and prior to now, we would all be together in the room like old radio, and that worked out fantastic, but we don't have time to chit-chat. It's done on a soundstage. We all have our stations. You can sit or you can stand. Mm -hmm. I prefer to stand. I think I breathe a little bit better when I'm standing, but standing for four hours, it's like, wow, okay, sit every now and then, but we used to take breaks for lunch, but haven't done that for decades. You know, you run out if you're not in the scene, but Dan... Dan and, and I are, are, Dan more than anyone is in almost every scene. Maybe me second because of the characters that I do and Hank too. But Hank and Harry don't come anymore because they don't live in L.A. Oh. And so it, for the last couple decades, it's been just Julie and myself and Yardley. And there's Pamela Hayden and she's not there so much anymore. And uh, Tress McNeil, who's lovely, she's she's there. She's to my left. Oh, I love Tress. She fills in. and. Another guy, Chris Edgerly, who's fantastic and does... Oh, Chris is great. Oh, man. The guy, is, he imitates and he will do temporary tracks for Hank and Harry when they're not there. Mm-hmm. And it's very helpful to us when it sounds like and they that voice will be replaced by the originals. Right. It's a little different. And I think the show has just kind of gone with the flow. Mm-hmm. And we can not be together they can record us separately and that's that's the beauty and i think animation really survived quite well and in fact an affluence of of animation occurred because i can be at home in my own studio yep it's very liberating (laughs) it really has been your unique situation of celebrity status and anonymity of being a voiceover artist the minute you walk out that door, no one knows you. In your book, you talk about the disappointment of not being a readily recognized celebrity. <laughs> but on the other hand, I personally think that you're in the catbird seat. You have the best of both worlds because some celebrities, they're kind of tortured by being bothered all the time. Mm-hmm. You can have all this wonderful celebrity and notoriety and, and appreciation, and yet you still have your personal life intact. Ted, you said it all. Dude, it's like... It's the perfect combination. You, 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 you <laughs> totally nailed it, man. It's like, I do touch on it. And at one point, that was a long, long time ago. But no, the evolution of this thing is I still, I still can go 
anywhere. Nobody knows who I am. It's like unless I decide to reveal, you know, myself. And even then, sometimes, boom, it's over their head. And how ridiculous do I feel then? I tend to just keep it quiet and, and just go about my life. Yeah. You have charitable organizations that you've created. It's a bit of a rough topic. It's about prescription opioids and prescription psychotropic drugs. Right, right. There's a lot of confusion, and you can go to the internet, and then you can find out some stuff that is like, you're, it just confuses you. You don't know who's telling the truth. Hmm. My website it's, it, and the nonprofit is called No More About Drugs, and it really puts some truth there. And it's the whole idea behind it is that a parent can go or a caregiver can go and if their doctor is prescribing a certain kind of a medication because the kid is eliciting, you know, erratic behavior, they're uncontrollable, um, they can't sit still or whatever the problem is, go to that website, know more about drugs and put in the name of that medication and find out the facts from the Food and Drug Administration's medication guides. All it gives is the egregious side effects. So you're going to find out that it can cause suicidal ideation. It's highly addictive. So many parents don't know about these medication guides. So it's a destination for parents and caretakers to go to to just find out some more. They can go to kmad.org. It's a bit of a heavy subject, but people need help. And it's, it's to give you some answers if there's some confusion there. Yeah. But thanks for that. Listen. This has been like such a treat being with you guys. I have thoroughly enjoyed my time with you. And thanks for allowing me and asking me like the perfect question. So <laughs> I feel very selfish, actually. <laughs> I do. <laughs> no. You've helped me so much. We were frankly very inspired by your uh, spoken audiobook. I know you and we've worked together. <laughs> but when you talk so personally about your life mm -hmm. and how you got to where you got and where you are. I mean, it's a very, very touching and, and fun audiobook. I recommend it. Would you tell them the name of it again? Sure. It's called I'm Still a 10-Year-Old Boy, and you can get it on Audible. And thank you for spending this time with us. And we wish you another 30 years of Simpsons. As long as there's television, the Simpsons will be on, I think. Wow. Yeah. They'll synthesize your voice, and, <laughs> and you'll live far beyond no. your mortal years. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm still going to be doing it when I'm 100. Nobody's quite reached 100 yet. I'll still be doing it when I'm 100. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you so much. Love you guys. <laughs> Phil, the Firesign Theater and the Simpsons have contributed so much to the American lexicon. Yeah, true. Oh, more sugar. Yeah, essentially it's spoken word. Incredible animation and it's a TV show, but really it's voice art. Yeah, Firesign Theater did uh, animation in your head <laughs> primarily, but we, we were as surrealistic as cartoons could be yeah. in, in the creation of our, of our body of work. And both the Firesign and the Simpsons really had uh, an enormous cultural effect on the, the society. Think of the audience. Think of the, the reach globally. Of course, Firesign Theater has quite a reach, too. I just sent a postcard off to somebody in Casablanca. Really? Who was a Rugrats fan. Was his name Rick? <laughs> no. Muad. Muad. Okay. <laughs> Muad Sharbat. Oh, a local. <laughs> yeah. This was a lot of fun. Sure was. We'll have to come up with another one now. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll reach out and touch someone. Okay. Ooh. This is Ted. And this is Phil. Thanks for listening. So long. 
You've been listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, featuring Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet and their special guest, Nancy Cartwright. Music by Eddie Betos and the Nervous Brothers. I'm a Ernest Guy. To hear all the Sexy Boomer Shows, visit our website, sexyboomershow.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for free by clicking the subscribe button in your app or webpage and never miss an episode. Please tell your friends about Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, produced by RadioPictures.com, the makers of fine podcasts for seasoned hipsters, man.